How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Happy Friday, Options Action fans. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Tony Zhang. Here's what's coming up on The Big Show. Pop the champagne and prep those puts. It's the final options action of the year. Funny how time decays. So, as we gear up for 2021, Tony, Mike, and Carter lay out their ultimate options trades for the new year. But before the ball drops, we've got to get through Christmas. Bah, humbug. But don't be such a Scrooge. Tony Zhang is the perfect stocking stuffer. The one retail name he's playing for some holiday cheer. And later. Tesla is living life in the fast lane. The car company cruising into the S&P 500. So what does that mean for Tesla options? Professor Cole breaks it all down. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. Let's get right to it. You see the clock? You hear the music? That's right. It's just one week until Christmas, and that means it is crunch time for the shippers. But the chart master sees some trouble in the transports. He says group as a whole is about to stall. Carter, take it away. Well, of course, it's an important index. It's the oldest that we have going back to the late 1800s, and it's cyclical, right? We know that the two big package haulers, FedEx and UPS, are a 23% weight, the four airlines. Um, the truckers add up to about 40, and then the big four railroads about 35. A concentrated index, and it is stalling of late. Let's look at three identical charts and then one or two at the end. The first of three, it's a two-panel chart. On top is the IYT, that's the iShares that mirrors the Dow Jones transportation average. And you can see, of course, that it broke out, and it's now above its pre-pandemic high. But look at the bottom panel. Relative performance to the S&P is nowhere near uh, the level of the January swoon. Second chart, another way to draw the lines. The, um, the vertical line I've drawn, you can see transports have continued higher, absolute, over the past two months, and yet look at their relative performance to the S&P. You can see the error I've drawn. Stalled, not progressing, meaning not delivering alpha. Third two-panel chart. Another way to draw the lines. You can see that the transports are still on an uptrend, and yet relative performance is just now starting to break trend. So where might uh, the transports as an aggregate, as a group, as a theme be headed? Final two charts. Here's a simply the IYT, and you can see the trend line drawn. I think at a minimum, we're going to come down to trend, as has been the case several instances since the March low. And so the final chart is that chart you just saw, and yet it's including the drawdowns. There have been four distinct drawdowns. You can see them there. An 11% drawdown, a 14, a 14, and then a 9. I think we're setting up for another give back, pull back, dip, decline, whatever nomenclature you choose in the transports. All right, so that's pretty clear. Mike, what's your trade off of that? Yeah, so there's a couple things I would just quickly point out. I mean, obviously, when we think about the secular trends for the transports, and especially the largest constituents of this index that Carter is talking about, IYT, the largest of which is FedEx, it would certainly seem like they have plenty of tailwinds there. Obviously, we have 
the current global situation that's going on, but generally speaking, you know, package shipping is a good business to be in overall. There's something else I would say is that when you're dealing with cyclical stocks, you know, a lot of times we talk about fundamentals like price to earnings ratios and things like that. But it's important to remember with cyclicals that oftentimes you're going to see the highest PEs basically at the trough of the cycle. So sometimes a high PE doesn't necessarily mean that, that stocks are poorly positioned. But in this particular instance, we do have a confluence of two things, which is we do see those high PEs, but the stocks actually are trading close to these all-time highs. This is not the cyclical trough. So something else is probably going on in these technicals that Carter is identifying. The other thing I would add, of course, is that we still do see, as we keep referencing on this show, elevated implied volatilities in a lot of spaces, and this is one of them. Right now, IYT implied volatility is probably 50% above its longer-term average. So we do want to take a look at a spread. I was looking out to February, the 215-195 put spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could spend about $4.50 to buy that put spread. That's a little less than 25% of the distance between the strikes, which means that the payoff, if you hold it to expiration and the underlying drops below that short strike, is going to be a little bit better than 3 to 1. And, of course, spending $4.50 against uh, an ETF that costs over 200 so you're risking just over 2% of the current stock price, not a great deal of risk to make this bearish bet uh, going through the holidays. And, of course, you know, if we do see next year's news on, on shipping as a real positive, you're not risking a great deal. But I, like Carter, think that we might be seeing a near-term top here. Tony, what do you make of the trade? Yeah, I, I like the trade. If you look at the IYT in, uh, ETF, there are clear signs of exhaustion here. As the ETF is making higher highs, momentum is not confirming these higher highs. And that usually is a clear sign of a potential pullback here. But also, as Carter mentioned, the constituents. You have almost 40% of the weight of this particular index in trucking. And we've seen retail sales uh, decline month after month over in October and November. Uh, so we've had two back-to-back -back month declines in retail sales. And trucking has almost a 55% uh, exposure to retail sales. And the big weight, FedEx, down almost 6% here today on earnings it broke below the 50-day moving average. I think that could be another catalyst for this index to start moving lower here. So for those reasons, I like the trade. And for, Mike has laid out you know, exactly why this debit spread works. You're, you're paying less than a quarter of the width here, and you're risking only 2%. Very small amount of risk here for a trade uh, to, to play for a short here, in my opinion. Carter, Tony had mentioned the weakness in the truckers and the exposure to retail. I'm wondering how you think FedEx itself looks versus the other big chunky parts of this of this index sure so uh, again FedEx being the biggest weight mm -hmm. and, and then after that I think it's UNP but FedEx is, has had a great move and it's I think it's an example of you know uh, buy the rumor sell the news everyone knows they're they're jammed they're busy and yet guess what the stock has appreciated quite a bit and its action today is telling Let's move on here. Tony is getting into the holiday spirit, aren't we all? He says this retailer could be the perfect present for your portfolio this year. So, Tony, why don't you unwrap this one for us? Yeah, I want to take a look at Best Buy because this is one of these stocks that just continues to surprise us year after year. You know, but recently the stock recently declined about 15% after announcing earnings a few weeks ago. And I actually think that now is an opportunity to pick up this stock going into the end of the year. 
Now, if we first look at the chart itself, the chart actually looks quite weak. You've had a recent breakdown below the $105 support level. It actually came back to retest that level as resistance and actually got rejected. And especially if you look at Best Buy to its sector, the XRT, the retail sector, it's actually severely underperformed the sector itself. So this severe underperformance for me is actually the opportunity that I see to take a look at this stock. Now, if you look at retail sales, I did mention that November, and uh, we've seen a decline in month, month over month retail sales. But if you compare November to the same time last year, we're still up 4% versus the same time last year. But consumer electronics is up 29% compared to the same time last year as consumers are mostly working from home and taking schools from home. So all the Zoom materials requiring us to buy electronics. I think Best Buy is an interesting opportunity in the backdrop of strong retail sales, but the stock is down 15% percent since the earnings and the stock itself is very strong it, it hasn't cut a dividend one of the few retailers that hasn't cut dividends this year it generates a large amount of cash flow it has almost six billion dollars in cash which it could return to, to shareholders uh, by share buybacks or dividends so for those reasons I really like the stock now when I first took a look at this I was actually looking at selling January $100 puts they were collecting about three dollars but given the current weakness that I'm seeing from this particular stock, I am a little concerned that you might see some further weakness. So I chose to go out to January 29th, the weekly options, to sell a put spread. I've sold the 102.95 put spread, collecting about $2.75, which is roughly the same that I would collect from that selling January $100 put option. But I have limited risk here. By buying that $95 put for about $2.10, I'm limiting my risk here to just a little over $4 um, on this particular trade. And I'm still collecting about 40% of the width here on this uh, credit spread. And this really allows me to gain some potential upside exposure in, in, in Best Buy and potentially own this stock if I see a little bit of weakness between now and the January 29th expiration. Interesting because Goldman Sachs just cut this one to a rare sell rating on Wall Street. Uh, Mike Coe citing, you know, pull forward. People bought a lot of laptops, bought a lot of stuff that Tony had, had mentioned already. They're not going to buy it again. What do you make of the trade, Mike, both the direction and the trade itself? Yeah, so well, let's talk about the trade structure first. I mean, if I was going to look to sell puts at this point with the market not trading that far off of all-time highs, we've, we've seen a massive run-up here. Uh, we have plenty of bad news that seems to be perking, percolating out from a lot of quarters. And all of those things could present some material weakness if the market rolls over. So selling puts uh, untied or naked at this point is kind of a risky proposition. So I prefer selling a put spread. You still get to take advantage of the fact that you see some elevated premiums. You still get to use a, basically a yield collecting strategy to make your long directional bet. So I think se selling a put spread makes a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, I can understand where Goldman Sachs rating is on the stock is coming from, but it's interesting because Tony actually mentioned this. This is a stock that people have basically counted out I don't know how many times over the last several years. There was just a sense that the bricks and mortar retail, whether and also electronics retailers in particular, as they were basically the only surviving one among them, were basically as good as dead, and yet they continue to thrive. What we've seen is that some retailers have been able to transition to basically the more modern economy, they seem to be making their way through it. So uh, I'm not going to count them out just yet. And they're trading at a slight discount to the market, uh, a little bit higher than their historical premiums. But I think the trade structure makes sense if you like it here. Carter, what do you make of that chart? Well, Tony said it. He said the chart is not good. And so he qualified it by saying that and perhaps this is a so bad it's good moment, meaning it is making new 52-week relative lows to the XRT 
and uh, almost to the S&P 500. So weakness is sometimes an opportunity. You get to buy something at a more favorable price, or it's weak for a reason, maybe the Goldman Sachs uh, judgment, for instance, and there's more trouble ahead. It, it's on knife's edge here. The risk to the downside, just for what it's worth, is the stock gapped up on its earnings on July 22nd on a big beat from 90 to 100, and that gap looms below. Uh, this is the kind of thing we have to do with your options. Buying the stock out right here is too risky. All right. For everything Options Action, you can check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Buckle up, Options Action fans. Tesla just zoomed its way into the S&P 500. Professor Code takes the wheel and explains why that's a big deal for the entire index. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back to Options Action. Check out shares of Tesla. They are moving lower in the after hours as the company zooms into the S&P 500. With a market cap of roughly $632 billion, Tesla is now the sixth largest company in the entire index. And Mike says it's time to pump the brakes on this high-flying EV stock. He's here with his call to action. Mike. Yeah, so, you know, this is an interesting situation, Tesla, isn't it? I mean, basically, you can kind of think of Tesla as the most popular but arguably the rowdiest party guest as it enters the S&P right here. We're measuring popularity by its multiple. If you compare the multiple, this thing's trading better than 20 times sales right now, and it's had an epic run, and that's particularly extraordinary given the business they're in. If you think of them as an auto and industrial type of a company, consumer discretionary company, these are pretty extraordinary multiples. And the thing is that, of course, this is also a stock that right now, despite these very high valuations, this is also a very volatile stock as well. If you compare the volatility of Tesla to all of the other top 10 names in the S&P, names like Microsoft and Amazon, these, this is trading at more than two times the volatility. So there's really going to be implications both for Tesla having entered the S&P and, and the S&P itself as a result of it. So, you know, when I think about the S&P, I just want to point out that when its biggest constituent is the biggest constituents are more volatile and they're more correlated with each other, the S&P itself could also see some increase in volatility. You are highlighting the increase in valuations basically by seeing cheaper stocks falling out and more expensive ones coming in like Tesla earlier on fast money. I think that given the fact that the short interest has dropped considerably, the stock is trading at all-time highs, we've already seen the boost that comes from the split, we're already seeing this big boost that came from the entrance into the index, that maybe there isn't as many things lying around to basically continue to propel the stock to new heights. And so I was inclined today to take a short bet on Tesla. And the way I did that uh, earlier today, and I should point out, the stock closed very close to 700. It was about 670 when I did this trade. I decided to sell the January 700, 720 call spread. I sold the 700s, paid the 720, bought the 720s to cover my upside, and I collected about $7.5 in credit to do that spread. So the idea here is that I'm expecting the stock to either stall or potentially fall back. 
And I think this is one of those situations, you know, I mean, Tesla is obviously a very popular company. They make very popular products. I'm not saying any of that is going to change. But what is going to be the marginal buyer once all of the indexers have purchased it? That's the hard part for me to see, especially at these very heady valuations. And with the short interest dropping, that was basically the last layer of support that you had in other situations. And I don't see that one here. Carter, what's your take on this uh, crazy chart? Yes, it's, uh, we, have, we have a couple charts, but first put this in context. I mean, the, the market cap at $658 billion, and yet the total value of shares traded today, $148. $148 billion in the value traded. There are only 45 companies in the S&P. Their entire market cap is worth that. Said differently, 220 million shares in volume on a billion outstanding, a quarter of the float turned over today. Tesla charts, the first one. No drawings, judgments, annotations made. You see it for what it is. Now look at the second one. I've tried to characterize it this way. You have strong advances, and then you get periods of consolidation, and then you advance again. It's the way an army moves forward. It's the way an athlete uh, works out of the gym. You assert yourself, and then you rest. So take a look at the next chart. You can see this big, powerful advance, and then you consolidate. You rest. A powerful advance, and you rest. It's good sequencing. But the final chart, the sequencing, even if it's intact, it calls for rest. You can see that there. This is not a time to be chasing Tesla. In fact, it's a time to sell calls or to reduce exposure. So, Tony, after all that, what do you say? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I can't help but think that the highs that we saw today is likely what we'll see as the relative highs for quite some time for this stock. But this is one of the toughest stocks historically to ever short. And Mike has a good reminder of this on his bookshelf with a pair of the Tesla short shorts. But I hate to say this, but I do think it is a little different this time in terms of pushing a short here. And, and the credit spread that he's selling here isn't quite a short. But if you look at the stock itself, it's run up 60% since the news that it was going to be included in the S&P 500. That's a, that's a hell of amount of a front running for this particular stock. As I do feel like it's gone a little too far too fast here. And stocks that make big run ups before they get included in the S&P 500 average only about a 1% gain over the next month after they are actually included. So Tesla, I think, is in, uh, you know, likely going to consolidate here, as, as uh, Carter puts it. Now, if you look at the credit spread, that Mike is selling. He's selling a credit spread that's almost 6% out of the money based on today's close. And he's still collecting about 37% of the width. That's a fair amount of width to collect for something that has that much room to the upside. So he's not exactly short here because Tesla can still trade up almost 7% between now and January expiration, and he'll still be profitable on this particular trade. Now, uh, the same, the same. Uh, I will say the same thing as I did about the BlackRock trade last week. Is that this is a fairly short data trade, only 25 days to expiration by the time investors put it on next week. So gamma is going to be a little higher here for this particular trade. So it's going to be a little bit more sensitive. If you get a, a continuation to the downside next week, you could probably take profits very quickly on this particular trade. Now, Mike, um, a lot of people out there might be inclined to not trade Tesla at all. It's just a little bit too volatile. It's a little, you know, they want to stay away. But in terms of thinking about the impact on the S&P 500, you mentioned the impact on volatility. What should we expect when it comes to the VIX, when it comes to swings in the S&P 500, um, because this is being added? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's an important question. It, it obviously, it's relevant to Tesla, but it's a broader question, too. What causes volatility in an index? You know, when you buy an index, what you're buying is a diversified basket of stocks in theory, right? So there's two principal 
components to what creates volatility in the index. One, of course, is the weighted volatility of each constituent itself. If those are more volatile, then the index in theory would be more volatile. But the other one is correlation. In other words, how much do those stocks move together? If I have two highly volatile stocks, but they always move in opposite directions, the index is going to be less volatile. What we're seeing right now in the S&P, and all of us who are on the show right now and many people watching will remember the tech wreck. And in the tech wreck, one of the things that happened to the NASDAQ was that you had highly volatile stocks. You also had highly correlated stocks. They were all tech stocks. They were all high flyers. And what we're beginning to see right now is that the S&P is increasingly consisting of stocks that are viewed similarly. So we're talking about technology stocks and where you could potentially see elevated levels of volatility. So the expectation, therefore, in the volatility of the S&P should be that it will also be a little bit higher. So, you know, that's kind of the way I, I think about it. And as for whether or not people trade Tesla, not just the stock, which Carter referenced, traded epic amounts of volume. The options are true. It traded over two and a half million contracts wow. today, Tesla. And that's a $700 stock. That would be the equivalent of 25 million contracts trading. Two and a half billion shares of a $70 stock. It, it's trading. It's trading a lot. A lot of you people watching probably traded it today, too. All right. Up next, we are going to take your tweets. You can send them our way at Options Action. We'll be back right after this. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back. Time for tweets. One viewer asks, what is the best way to hedge volatility at the end of the year without closing profitable positions resulting in a tax bill? VIX calls, SPY puts. Mike, what do you say? Yeah, the answer is going to be spy puts or put spreads. Simple. Good advice. Up next, final call. Final call time, Carter. Sell transports, IYT the vehicle. Tony. Sell put credit spreads on Best Buy. Mike Short Tesla call spreads and to go with my short shorts. Hope you don't wear those. That's it for Options Action. We'll see you back here in the new year. Happy holidays. Happy new year. Stay tuned. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.